Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode, episode number 50 of Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of the films of the 2010s. I'm your host, Adam Cervantes-Wagner, and allow me to introduce my co-host, Balloon Boy Trevor Dillon. <laughs> okay, well, all right. Well, I was going to say something nice, but uh, not sure why. Uh, is this a reference to the uh, that freak accident that happened when I was in, like, high school? When was that? That was in the 2010s. I, I was that a 2010 incident. It literally feels like it was. It was. That feels like it was pre 9/11. <laughs> uh, let's see, Balloon Boy. <laughs> Great. Uh, like for such Darn a special. It. Yeah. What is it? 2009. October 15, 2009. So close. Wow. How did I nail that? Oh, I guess I am. I am the Balloon Boy who grown up. <laughs> Welcome back to Earth, my friend. Um, we're, we're, it is a very special episode just because uh, we're going to be summing up the great films, our personal favorites, top 25 of the 2010s, but also Trevor, we have a milestone here because this is episode number 50. Did you think we'd ever make it this far? Um, you know, I, I, uh, I have never actually tried to launch a podcast. I really built up the hype on that one. Uh, finally launched this one, and I'm sticking with it. I, you know, as the listeners or the non-listeners know, um, we joke about how bad this podcast is, and it's like barely a joke when I say it, but I'm just pushing through it, man. Like, one day <laughs> I'm going to have like 500 episodes of this bad podcast. And by the way, you'll notice I'm leaning on I'm. Like, whether you're there in episode 100 <laughs> or not, I will be the backbone of Ghost Party Radio forever, for as long as I'm still here. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive, I think, that we were able to do 50 episodes, or call this episode 50, only having done 49 episodes. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I, but you know what? We'll make it right, because uh, this is part, have you mentioned that this is part one? We're going to do a, a big two-parter here of our, of our top uh, films of the uh, 2010s. Uh, no, I didn't mention that. You want me to mention that now? Yeah, go ahead. Say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I think we'll get into that. Uh, you and I both scoured for the past couple of weeks um, lists from all across the 2010s, people's favorites and whatnot. And I think we've, well, at least I have accumulated my favorites. I don't know where you land. We all know that you put Hubie Halloween at number 10. Of, number my, nine. of my 2020 list, yes. Yeah. So we'll, right. we can get to that when we talk about our favorite films of the 2020s. But Which um, means it's guaranteed to be in your top 100 of the 2020s. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how that works, but sure. <laughs> um, uh, you're really ignoring a, a big deal. When this episode comes out, it's going to be Thanksgiving week. So uh, a good gobble-gobble to you, sir. That, what, Trevor, you know, I'm so grateful for you. Well, I'm thankful for you. I don't know what this grateful talk is. Isn't it great giving? <laughs> uh, do you want to do a little bit of dreaded discourse here? We're going to skip past media diet because on Thanksgiving week and the week after Thanksgiving, I guess, for part two, uh, no diet at all, uh, even media diet. Boom. boom. Uh, so let's get into the dreaded discourse a little bit here. Um, we didn't talk about French Dispatch in terms of your, your Cannes Film Festival team this year. Right. And uh, I think this is going to be... Something that you and I are going to be dealing with for until we finish our list, but I know uh, it's going to be a contested movie for sure on our on our draft here. Yeah, I mean, so the way we're not going to go over which movies are on which team or whatever, but so far I've had two movies come out and you've had two movies come out, and mm-hmm. you claim that it's anybody's ball game, but your two <laughs> movies 
are Annette, which I outright disliked. Found I found a lot to like in it, but definitely didn't like it overall. And your other film is French Dispatch, which I outright disliked, but also found a lot to like in it. So I didn't hate either of these films, but they are definitely not worth, I think, the first two round picks you spent on them. You are so wrong about one of those. Um, <laughs> I said every, anybody's ball game. I was looking, you know, my personal taste between the four films that we've seen so far. I do think that your list right now is stronger, um, but I don't think that I'm far behind. And I also, like I told you, I'm convinced that I'm going to have the worst, but also the best pick that we're both going to agree on unanimously. I, I just, me, my my team right now so far that's debuted is Bergman Island, which I thought was a perfectly fine movie. Like I mentioned, didn't I move the needle in any direction. Mm -hmm. And then Teton, which I spent my first round draft pick on and paid out in spades, if you ask me. So I think that I have not a huge, like you're mentioning, it's only two movies, so I can't really have that big of a lead, but I certainly have a lead. So this is my game to lose. The pressure's on me. Well, the thing is, I, I think I... Our th we have we agree on three of the movies. I think we have the same opinion on three of them. However, I think French Dispatch may be my favorite that we've seen so far. And so that's where it's going to be trouble when we get to the drafts. I have to revisit our episode on French Dispatch because that's just not the impression I got. Did you watch <laughs> it again like three more no. times? I, I loved it. I thought I was giving off the impression. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. All right. Well, okay. Well, um, you know, and, you have. And I, 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 before we get off the topic here, I'm counting on after Yang. I really think that's going to get both of us. Oh, for sure. Like, put all your, put all your bread in that basket. Because that'll, um, that'll, that'll outweigh them that fiasco. I'm hearing very good things about my worst person in the world pick. By the way, that's uh, true. I, I, uh, Justin Moore, foe of the podcast, as he likes to call himself. Um, went to a film film independent screening of it this weekend was just raving about it. So I'm like, Oh boy, this could really, really help out my team. But something like a uh, Gaspar Noe's vortex could sink my ship completely. We could watch it and be like, this is, um, this is Gaspar Noe's amour basically like, no one wants to see this movie, you know? So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Justin Moore, whose favorite podcast is the Joe Rogan experience. He actually is a big fan of that Dax Shepard podcast and won't shut up about it when we hang out. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll try to get Dax on the show soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely before Justin comes back um, on. But so uh, today we're going to go over, or we're going to start at least um, a long journey into i'm calling it our favorite movies of the 2010s i don't know like the whole i mean we should have just started here with discourse really of just being like do you find a big difference in making a list when you say your favorite films versus your best films because i think that saying favorite films kind of gets the trolls out of there of being like you have no argument i've called this list my favorite films yeah i also say um favorite too i think it, it's a lot safer in terms of film nerds that i can't stand to deal with um, but also, I, I don't want to come off as, like, these are the best movies, you know? Right. Like, who am I to say, like, oh, these are objectively the best films? Like, I think I have some lists. I, I have some movies on this list that I think are absolutely um, some of the best movies that came out in the 2010s. But some of them are just, like, my favorite movies that I saw and that I, I wanted to add on the list for that reason. I also uh, put the call out on Instagram to uh, our listenership, uh, our people who follow us, at Ghost Party Picks. Uh, and we got a lot of responses. And we will read those responses on part two. So that's the teaser for anybody who's listening now. But a lot of people with some very, very eclectic taste of what they thought the best movie of the 2010s was. Interesting. That's pretty awesome. Um, 
And today we're going to be doing uh, numbers 25 through 16, correct? Uh, well, I have a little surprise for you about about oh, that. About that. <laughs> uh, so I told Adam we were going to be doing our top 25 films of the 2010s. I'm not cutting anything. But we are going to be doing our top 20 films of the 2010s. No and way. Right up top, we're going to give our five honorable mentions rapid fire to just really get people interested. And let right. people know, like, these are the five. Because if you have them numbered, you could just say them very quickly. But I want to get five movies out of the way real fast. To just keep people interested, you know what I mean? And be like, oh, that's interesting, yeah. you know. What uh, do you think? Are, are you upset? Did you did you put a bunch of work into writing out, like, blogs for each of these? I didn't put any work into this, but um, I still want to talk about it. And we'll go over <laughs> it briefly. But before we yeah. get into it, um, I think for each uh, sort of section that we come across i want you want us to predict how many are we going to have in common here yes so this is a big thing and we will pay it off in part two but i think today we'll do uh technically 25 through 20 very quickly our honorable mentions and then we'll do 20 through 11 how about that that sounds good okay i think if we have out of those 20 if we have five crossover we need to do something like something needs to happen I think that's likely that we're going to have five at least. Five of 20? You think that b between us we have – that is so – that is 25% of our entire list are the same? Yeah, but a lot of this stuff floats to the top from the past 10 years, you know? Uh, it's true. I think, I think we leave it at that number though. If we have five of the same in our top 20, we will have to do something. And we're calling out the listenership right now. I'll put it on Instagram. You let us know. What do we have to do if we have five <laughs> of the same top 20? And boy, I hope that doesn't pay off in part one. Can you imagine from 20 <laughs> to 11 if we have five of the same? Right. Uh, and we might. Uh, <laughs> I want to say, are there any movies before we get into this list, and I know I'm hyping it up quite a bit, that, uh, that you wanted to rewatch before doing this list that you didn't quite get around to? Yeah, absolutely. And there was a few that um, I wanted to watch that I hadn't seen, that yeah. I hadn't gotten around to. I know, uh, should I say? Yeah, of course. Okay, so some that I wanted to see, uh, Tony Erdman. Right, okay. Uh, Nocturama, I also wanted to see. Oh, interesting, I haven't seen that either. So you basically just went through a list and saw, like, oh, I haven't seen six of these hundred movies, and that maybe you should watch those movies before you get into this top 20. I think that your list is still legitimate, having not seen every single film that was made in the 2010s. No, I agree, but I know these those are some that I like I did want to see for like a long time and now it's yeah. unfortunate because if I would have liked them it would have been cool to talk about them. And keep a straight face here. I'm gonna, I'm going to say uh like four movies that I really wanted to revisit that are not going to be in my top 20 or top 25. Mm -hmm. And that would be Tree of Life, did not revisit it uh at all even when we talked about like all this like Palm York stuff and all of these can movies. Um, I didn't revisit Melancholia. Um, I didn't revisit Inside Llewellyn Davis. And I didn't revisit Martha Marcy May Marlene. So these are like four movies that I think had I revisited could have flirted with my top 20. But I just didn't have time to get around to it. So that means that if we did this episode, not that we ever would again in like let's say five years or something, these movies might be on that list. But I just didn't have time to get around to them. And I, I just – there was a very pointed movies that – people might be like wow i can't believe you didn't have tree of life and just like well i didn't go i didn't go back to it right. uh i just didn't have and you know 
Uh, Come on, we get no respect. Hey, all right, let's do this. Um, let's go. I'll go first, and I'm just gonna mention one of my honorable mentions. So, it's not. I'm these five that I'm about to mention. I'm not gonna do them all at once, but they're not in any particular order. This would technically be 25 to 20. I know yours are gonna be in a particular order, but I knew <laughs> I was throwing this curveball. So these these movies just have the letters H M next to them. Okay. Uh huh. So I'm going to start my honorable mentions here, by the way. Uh, go ahead and uh, hit the music. We're about to get into our favorite uh, films of the 2010s. Uh, All right, here, I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to kick it off with a banger here. Uh, my first honorable mention, definitely not number 25, is a movie that I think, well, first of all, it sparked my love for the podcast, oh Aya versus gosh. the Big Boys. What? What? I can hear it in your voice already. Let's hear it. What? What am I going to say? I don't know. It's going to be some BS. No, no, it sparked my love for the uh, the podcast, Aya versus the Big Boys, which is a, a podcast that goes through and uh, analyzes uh, a very patriarchal medium uh, that is film and talks about these big boy movies, these um, films that have come out whenever throughout the history of, of uh, you know, basically movies that like would be on a college dorm wall. You know what I mean? Like I- I'm talking about Nicholas Whitey Griffin's drive here, folks, uh, a movie that if you had told me 10 years ago when I saw it, wouldn't be in my official top 20 of the decade i'd say you're not that's not true like this i love this movie it's it was like the gateway for a lot of us like in my age range like 30 to we're going to that movie at 18 19 and had never seen i don't know like that european nicholas winding refin slow-mo synth pop uh gosling playing the silent but in like insane i I think the cast is so good in it i think the music is so good i think it's directed really well but it has aged like dairy Mm -hmm. when i watch it now the big takeaway i have from it is basically the albert brooks performance is still very very good (laughs) and have i watched it too many times have i heard it taken down a notch too many times I still unabashedly like the film. It just is going to miss my top 20 of the decade. And as time goes by, it might keep going down, and you never know. Maybe one day. I have my number two movie, Adam, is a film that when I say it, I'm already sheepish about it. I've been reading reviews about how this particular movie, Drive, and my number two movie, have not aged well. Not in a problematic sense, but in a, they just don't work anymore for some reason. And they were a product of their time. Uh, so mm. I'm going with uh, well, my first honorable mention. I'm going Nicholas Winding Reference Drive. And some of you out there will understand it. And some of you will not. And that's okay. Ooh, I guess uh, the HM on your list stands for help me. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, here's the thing. Uh, you don't have to weigh in on what movie. Like, So if let's just say yeah. that you have Drive in your top 20. Right. Or you don't have Drive in your top 20. You can talk about it briefly. Um, but anytime someone wants to talk about a movie that's not on their list, they don't get to talk as much. So if you want to say a few words about Drive and move on, feel free. Otherwise, just move on. 
Right. And I think if uh, if it's the second time we're hearing about a movie, then we really get into it. Um, but no, you know what? Let's just move on. Let's go to what I put at as originally tw- number 25. Hold uh, on. That's actually really interesting that you want to move on so quickly because I don't know if that means it's on your list later or you just don't give a shit about it enough to talk about it. And I like that. I like that ambigu- ambiguity. <laughs> All right. Here we go. The surprise. Um, but my 25 is the complete opposite of you. It's Little Women. Um, okay. I think Little Women was fantastic, absolutely yep. amazing. Greta Gerwig's a genius. I think the way that she played with the timeline was such a great change, I think, for the story, for a story that's been done so many times. And I think it just she just does it so well. She brought a lot of heart to it. There's so many great moments in that film. And uh, there's that great twist with Bob Odenkirk that um, was absolutely delightful and one of maybe the most... One of the biggest smiles I've ever had in the theater when I saw him pop into the screen. Wait, wait, uh, wait! You think that Bob Odenkirk being in the film was a twist? Yeah, yeah. Or do you think him saying "My Little Women" was a twist? No, him being in the film. Did you know he was in the movie? No, but like you probably could have easily looked that up. Like I'm sure he yeah, had to I, been. I didn't. That's true. Like, why am I looking up who plays the dad in yeah. Little Women? You know, I could have looked up, you know, who is Tyler Durden at any point in my life. <laughs> That's true. It's true. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought that was great. Uh, but yeah, just a great movie overall. Um, I even rewatched it pretty recently um, with my grandma. We put it in Spanish, and she liked it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll speak on this because it's not on my list. But uh, Little Women is great. Um, I have, I think. 40 movies total favorited quote-unquote on letterbox from the 2010s and this is one of them uh so it's one of my most recently favorited movies i think it's like impeccable uh i haven't revisited it but when i saw it i was like damn uh, greta is like the absolutely the real deal am i excited for her new barbie movie and her new what, what, what other big movie she just signed on to no not really i wish she would keep making movies like this but um, I think it's excellent. I think it's literally across the board, great performances. It looked good. It was like, and it came out at like the perfect time of year where like I could have gone and seen it with my family and everyone would have been like, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, I can't. So we uh, now we know that you have Drive and not Little Women on your list. So I can't wait to get to your number one, Joker. Yeah, I mean, it's, my, my list is already trending towards the toxic masculinity that I was talking about before. So let me move on to my second honorable mention, shall I? Yes. Uh, it's a it's a James Bond movie and um, it's called Skyfall. Nice. Um, Skyfall uh, came out in 2012. I saw it in IMAX. Uh, I fell in love with it immediately. The Deacon cinematography. Um, I think it's the best Bond movie uh, since you know Casino Royale. So not that long, <laughs> but I think that anybody's Bond rankings are legitimate if they put Skyfall and Casino Royale in like that top six or seven. You know, I think it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of the franchise, as anyone can listen to our episode of Sexy Bond. Sen- what was it? Sexy Bond, Sexting Bond? Sexy Bond, Sexing Bond. Oh, Sexy Bond, Sexing Bond, uh, which I'm sure we'll do more episodes of soon uh, when, when all those Bond mo- those new Bond movies come out. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't really say much because it's just the honorable mention, but Skyfall, great Bond movie, looked incredible reset the franchise which is crazy because casino royale had just done that so recently but i thought it were great javier bardem's villain uh, is the best villain in the daniel craig era and that includes chifre uh, mads mickelson and casino royale so yeah uh, i loved it um yeah i loved it also not on my list um but 
I totally get where you're coming from, and I think it's just super enjoyable film. Uh, you but think so, it's you think it's just super enjoyable film. That's right. They think it's super enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, you're like a, now you're a Russian bad guy from the James Bond movies. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. Uh, Twenty four for me. What we do in the shadows. Wow. Yeah, I've probably seen this movie the most out of all these movies on this list. Uh, well, maybe not, but um, I and I've seen it at the Frida once. Even I've seen it uh, maybe in regular theaters. Everyone that I've shown it to, they love it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's just such an easy, fluid watch. Yeah, and really, really nice to get into, and it's hilarious. I think it's a legitimately funny movie. You know, I haven't got into it yet. I've seen it two times, huh. and it's it's one of the very, very few movies that I can openly admit that I feel like I absolutely should get it, and I'm just not getting it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so maybe the third time it'll click, but uh. I totally like it, and I think it's I think it's fun. And we played it at the theater one time as a volunteer of the month pick, and it like was like really busy, and people love it. And I I, I support this being on your list. Yeah, I think it's funny. Um, it does it has kind of a weak third act, and uh, maybe that's where it loses you. But I do think the when they're just doing their short sort of vampire shenanigans throughout the movie, right. I mean, it's just it's flying. It's superb. Yeah, I mean that's that's the roots of the. The Taika tree, right? I mean, not really. He had made movies before that, but right. I think that a, he used that to launch big time. And and I'm a I'm a Jermaine guy, so I think that's more where my love goes. Right, and that they co-directed it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. I'm 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 more of a Jermaine guy than Taika as well. I feel like he, his blowback has been massive recently. By the way, just too too uh too popular for his own good. He, he got he made a couple of good movies and. Now he's just one of those guys that gets offered every movie and it kind of annoys people now. It's really weird. It's just, hate to see it, folks. Right. And uh, I didn't really like Thor Ragnarok. All right, go ahead. You're wrong. Um, Thor Ragnarok is not on my list. Can I ask you an open question? And you, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Is there a Marvel list in your, or is there a Marvel movie in your top 25? No. Yeah, me neither. Marvel didn't make the cut on this one, unfortunately. Right, and I, I, I mean, it's easy to to like bash on it. I mean, I, I would never go as far as uh, who discourse, um, Ridley Scott, what he was saying about the Marvel movies. I'm more of yeah. the camp of Martin Scorsese, which I think he was actually somewhat positive on the Marvel movies. Yeah, he said they're like fun amusement rides. Like people <laughs> yeah. leave out the part where he said they were fun. I mean, they're fun. Um, but I think uh, with something like Skyfall now this pick, I, I'm 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 giving people and my next one really, I'm giving people the the blockbusters. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm, sh- I'm showing you what the good blockbusters were from this decade. So uh, we're just gonna call it my number twenty three. At this point, we're not even doing honorable mentions. These are just our top twenty fives, really. But <laughs> yeah. uh, we're, we're kind of just lightly touching on them, and that's just fine. But um, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, which uh, I'm putting I'm putting pointedly above Skyfall. Because I think it's slightly a better film. I think it's the best action movie. That's not true. I think it's the second best action movie of the 2010s. Uh, I think it's incredible. I think it. I've watched it like five times. I think. Um, I think the Mission Impossible franchise with uh, Macquarie and Cruz has has elevated above Bond at this point. Like like when a new Mission Impossible when that new Mission Impossible movie comes out, it is going to be an event, and people are going to be going crazy for it because it's earned it. The movies have gotten better over the past like 15 years, and I don't know if you can say that about Bond. Bond was up and down. You know, you had Casino Royale, high, Quantum of Solace, you know, medium to low. 
uh, Skyfall, high. And then, of course, Spectre, which I think is a low. And then um, No Time to Die, which I think is medium to high. So it goes up mm-hmm. and downs, whereas I think that since the basically since the J.J. Abrams one, uh, number three, they've gone literally up if it was a graph. And I think uh, we're at – I don't think we're at the peak yet. We may have been, though. Fallout, I think, Action Masterpiece, Salt and IMAX, loved it. Don't have anything else to say about it. People who follow me on Twitter know I'm a fan. Yeah, I like that movie um, as well, but I saw it at home, and during the daytime, I, I, I know that if I had seen it in IMAX, I would have liked it more. Yeah, I mean, like, there's, like, the infamous, there's, like, a fight in a bathroom that happens with Henry Cavill and uh, Tom Cruise, and it's, like, the so good, and it's crazy that there's a set piece, like, in a bathroom, and then it hits so damn hard, and then I'm still believing Cruise on screen at this point with all of his stuff that he has going on off screen. It's just a testament to him as an actor, and I, I always, I'm always a little afraid to give him the most rave reviews as an actor because of the stuff that obviously goes on off screen but uh i think he's great i think he's the last living um action star he might be our only action star left period all right oh that's a good way to put it um i will go into my 23 uh finally my time to shine i've wanted to talk about this movie for a little bit you know where i'm going trevor nope this is uh ash's purest white <laughs> okay so Listeners, get ready for, like, different lists for sure because (laughs) you are seeing me put Bond movies and Mission Impossible movies, and they're not all like that all the way down to number one for me, but I feel like we're going to go a lot more Ash is the Purest White from you as opposed to me. Right, and Ash is Purest White is uh, is very divisive. It's 6.9 on IMDb, but it has an 85 Metacritic score. Obviously, I'm citing more with the Metacritic. Um, I think it rules by Zhang Kijia, who usually casts his wife, uh, Teo Zhao. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to pronounce these correctly. Um, and just amazing performances, some really cool set pieces. It's sort of like, it's almost an epic, I would say, because um, it spans like, I don't know, I think about 16 years total about this crime family and this woman kind of picking up where her husband left off. Um, and it's just really enjoyable. A lot of cool moments in there, a lot of th- I don't know, things that are really compelling and that I don't usually get to enjoy in other films. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's purely Chinese, but I'm glad that they got to bring this to us and that we have this thing. Um, and not only is it not on my list, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, I believe you saw it, and I believe you're not spitting it on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Imagine me calling you out after all of these, like, I don't know if you saw this movie. Yeah um okay my uh, we're just gonna straight up call it how it is my number 22 uh is another blockbuster the last blockbuster for a long long time uh as far as my list goes and that is a movie that i revisited during the pandemic on the big screen at the frida uh it's total flex but uh watched Mm -hmm. it the first time in imax a lot of these that you're finding uh you're finding these last few in a row i've watched in imax and i feel like maybe that's it from the rest of my list but (laughs) um this is a uh so we've gone bond we've gone mission impossible and who is the other director we have to talk about when we talk about blockbusters in the 2010s nolan correct this is interstellar Mm -hmm. uh a movie that i i never thought i'd say this but i love this christopher nolan movie yeah I, i i it's not on my list so i can talk about it with you um i loved it also i think uh revisiting it also is key because i didn't like it the first time either yeah, I mean, I liked it the first time, but, like, watching it the second time, I felt 
like literally like what didn't I like about this movie? Like it's it's incredible. The Hans Zimmer score. Timothy Chalamet's in there for a little bit, you know. If we're gonna <laughs> yeah, talk about Timmy. I actually I forgot he was in it. I, I I wouldn't have even known he was in it, I guess, when I saw it in twenty fifteen. I wouldn't have known who he was. But um I think that if this movie is like twenty five minutes shorter, if we cut out a lot of the um the Doctor Man stuff that happens on that like um planet in iceland basically or you know like basically the last one i think if they cut that entirely basically this movie's perfect i think this is an i think we're talking about this movie like we talk about 2001 a space odyssey i really do i just think it's so i think it's like and the effects a lot of them practical a lot of them cgi they just look really really great the cast here typically not for me at all mcconaughey and anne hathaway but they work totally like i i just you got to give yourself over to interstellar it's really, really great. And if you don't like it, that's fine. And you know you don't like it, don't revisit it. If you thought it was okay <laughs> the first time, revisit it. It is my number 22 on my list. That's awesome. Yeah, I do love that movie. I think there's so much there to enjoy. I remember seeing it the first time, I think the first like hour and a half, I was also convinced like this is one of the best movies ever made, you know. Um, but I do agree. And I, I actually really like Christopher Nolan. It kind of saddens me to hear that you don't. Um, I, I know. I that's not what I meant. I mean, I like the Nolan movies, but I would have never thought that he would have made a movie that would have been my top 25. This is certainly the only Nolan movie on my top 25. Yeah, I think that's, well, yeah. Um, the, the, the only thing is his melodrama, right? Where even in Interstellar, you get Anne Hathaway crying about how love transcends space time or whatever. Yeah, but if I'm going to sit around and defend Shyamalan for like having characters <laughs> yeah. talk exactly how they feel or a movie we watched last night, uh, Obayashi's uh, Labyrinth of Cinema, where characters just say how they're feeling. I feel like as I get older and like, you know, I've made some films here and there. I'm always like, you always try to like make shit as subtle as possible. And you see a character say with exactly how they're feeling on screen. You're like, damn, that worked. Shit. Okay. Well, well, you know what? This rules. I would never defend those other two examples that you mentioned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. All right. Let's get to my 22. And that would be, um, we're going to hop the pond as they say. Uh, to Japan because we were in China with my last pick and it's uh, mm. Shoplifters, Koreida. Ah, this is not on my list. Uh, it's a this... Palmer, baby. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Uh, it was the Palmer for 20, uh, I, sp- I guess 18, right? Because Parasite was 19. Yeah, it was uh, Shoplifters and Parasite back-to-back years. Yeah, and uh, I think it's great. I think Koreida is one of the best in the game right now making his movies. I think he's fantastic. I- I've loved everything that I've seen by him. Um, it's always so poetic and comforting and dramatic um and yeah i thought i thought he did a great job with shoplifters especially uh listeners who are going through this uh on the weekend and have some time uh to recover from a hangover tomorrow go ahead and take a shot every time adam or i describes the movie as fantastic or great (laughs) (laughs) well you know i mean that's a top 25 for you but yeah i think hey yeah what are you gonna do i mean you saw this movie yeah, I, I, we I did this as a member screening. Uh, people came in, we liked it. Um, I, yeah, it's. I'll just say this: it's not on my list. It got to a point where in the third act, I thought they're gonna rip my fucking heart out right now with this movie, and then mm-hmm. they didn't. You know what I mean? Like it, it didn't go that extra mile. And it, yeah, it does, not every movie needs that melodrama you were just talking about. It, the movie just kind of ends uh, like it is what it is. Like the, like it's uh, a movie about broken family, if I remember correctly. Right. It yeah, still gets hard, I think, because uh, there is sort of like a, a whole different direction it goes in that third act. 
Yeah, no, it, it definitely, it, but it, it goes, yeah, you're right. That's, that's just what it was. It's something, it goes in a different direction. Uh, and I, I need to get out of this mindset when I watch movies every once in a while. I'll be like, boy, that's not how I would have done it. Or that's not how I wish it ended. And it almost, it almost is so much more impressive when a filmmaker completely goes a different direction than you want it to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't, it wasn't this like heavyweight drama masterpiece that I had heard it was, but it is totally a, a very, very likable movie. And um, I don't know, would easily be in my top hundred of the decade, I suppose. Wow. Okay. I'll take that with Hubie. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Hit him with the, the drinking age. Yeah, all right. So number 21 for me is going to be a movie that I think is actually going to prove to be quite influential going forward, even though it's a riff on uh, a movie from 1973 big time. Uh, It is an A24 film. It is a horror film. And my friends who I saw it with and most people that I know absolutely hate this movie. But I see it all over Twitter and I see the influence year after year. And it came out in, I think, 2018. Do you know what it is? Uh, it's Midsommar oh okay uh, a movie that I think I really liked the first time I saw it second time I saw it I'm like oh he's just making a breakup movie that's just through the lens of the Wicker Man I think what a lot of people don't like about this movie is that it's made with the budget and the craft of an, a quote unquote a, a phrase I hate elevated horror film but it's also kind of cheesy and like a it's like dramatically kind of cheesy in the way of like how like a slasher movie would be at sometimes and i think that people really wrestled with like what is it like ari aster what is it are you making a serious art film here or are you making a horror film and it's like why can't we have both i don't understand i feel like this movie like bridged the gap big time between the bullshit that people say with elevated horror which i would consider like something like the witch elevated horror and uh, i don't know how robert eggers would the director of that film would tell you he feels about that phrase but i think ari aster would be like what are you talking about like my influences are bergman and you know west craven like they're complete like the worlds can meet so uh mm-hmm. that's what i mean by i think it's going to be a very influential horror movie going forward is that like i know the stuff that i write has hopefully you know whoever directs the, that stuff has craft and brings it to the project but it's like don't be afraid to uh throw an homage in there from a cheesy 80s movie you grew up on or to throw a little bit of a, a dumb character decision here once in a while it is a horror <laughs> movie at the end of the day so maybe the a24 logo before it fucks it I, I don't know we'll see but midsummer number 21 with room to move up over time by the way i'll add that Okay, yeah, I that's not on my list. I, I actually really liked that movie also. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen the director's cut, but I look forward to it. Have we talked about sort of the Ari Aster divide on this podcast? Uh, no, we have not. And also, I will never uh, watch the director's cut of this film. I don't think it needs to be longer. <laughs> and I don't want to see a worse version of this movie. I just want it to live as this really long, fucked up breakup movie in my mind. Yeah, I do want to see some more gore, though. And I'm hoping that that's kind of what we get. I don't know. I, I feel like the movie has a lot of shocking moments and gore. We can talk about Midsommar another time. We're only talking about honorable <laughs> mentions right now. so. Um, but uh, yeah, but th- there's that Ari Aster divide where it seems like people are either in the hereditary camp or in the midsummer camp. That's what I Interesting. Found. Interesting. I've always said, are you more of an A person or a B person? If you're an A person, it's, it's Eggers and Ari Aster. It's, are you a witch and hereditary person or are you a lighthouse and Midsommar person? Oh, I could definitely see that because, I mean, actually, I, I do like both of those Eggers movies, but I'd definitely be a B person. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like I liked the take of the of the sophomore film over, over the freshman. Like, it feels like the freshman movies were very dark, uh, somewhat a little too serious for me. And then the second one, they actually got to make kind of a movie that reflected their personality a little bit better. What mm-hmm. You know, it, it is what it is. Um, I'm definitely a B person. But um, uh, but way, if I have to pick between Hereditary and Midsommar, that's, that's easy for me. Same here. Um, and by the way, remind us, at the top of the show, I got some gripes to pick with A24. Um, but that's for next episode. So I'll get okay. to my 21st. And uh, I feel like what's exciting about my 21st is you're going to know this movie, but I feel like in a million years, you never will guess what I'm going to put here. Okay. And it is uh, Steve Jobs. Ladies wow. And Dude, I was just watching clips from Steve Jobs and Moneyball. I was watching like these <laughs> Sorkin clips. That's crazy. So, Jen says that she doesn't like this movie. She watched it on an airplane, and I was shocked just because of the whole, like, social network of it and everything. You know, mm-hmm. like, I was like, no, it's not the social network, but, like, it's – this movie is, like, pretty decent. Like, Danny Boyle – go ahead. Talk about your pick. I would say it's even better than decent. Um, I love this movie. What's funny is it did not do well at the box office, even though I saw it in theaters twice. And the first time I went to go see it in theaters, I was completely alone. Um, I had to bring people to the second one so that I wasn't alone. Wow. But I mean, like, I was the only person in the theater that for that whole thing. And it was kind of a bummer because I think the movie is quite excellent. Uh, I have an actor friend, Ephraim, who agrees with me. And it's nice that uh, we can kind of talk about it. But, you know, the movie's broken up into three parts. Right. Um, these three parts of Steve Jobs' life uh, that I think work extremely well to short, sort of show the growth of this character, but also the fall, his own pitfalls, um, as well as... Uh, these very cool moments of sort of showing how he is a genius, but also a flawed human being. Um, There's sort of like a revenge story in this movie that is really cool. There's these really dramatic moments that are purely just dialogue. And of course, you're going to get that with Aaron Sorkin. But like you have this intense music and it's just people talking, but you're still feeling the revelations of as if you had seen these things happen yourself, you know. Um, yeah, then... I mean, I like the structure of the movie the most. The, the fact that mm-hmm. we know that all of this stuff did not happen every time Steve Jobs was about to step out onto a new product launch. You know, like, right. it, it's almost, it's so unreasonable. to th- But it's, they're making it like that. We're suspending, our, we're suspending our disbelief because it's like, this is the coolest way to structure this movie. Is like, right. every, is it like every 10 years or something before he launches a product, a massive yeah. product? It's like right before he steps on stage, it's like, hey, here's like five really crazy things that are going on in your life right now that you have to deal with. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, there's a lot of love put into the making of this movie too. Uh, I think Danny Boyle is an excellent director. He shoots, you know, on three different cameras for each of these segments um, it's very clever and, like you said, just very cool. I thought it was a cool movie. Yeah, and I thought that the casting of Ashton Kutcher was a little weird, to be honest with you. Okay, like, I yeah. Saw that one coming? Yeah, that was too easy. That's that's what That was the problem with this movie, is that that other yeah. movie came out first, and it did badly, yeah. so no one went to want to go see this one. Yeah, you know, you know who I think is really good in this is uh, Seth Rogen. Yeah, absolutely, as the Waz. Yeah, I love that scene when he says, like, just acknowledge the Apple II team. <laughs> That's my Seth Rogen. And, then, and Steve Jobs is straight up like, yeah. Steve Jobs is straight up like, no. Like, I, he's like, I'm not going to fucking do it. I'm like, oh. That's another thing that I like about this movie. And Sorkin 
you know, would be the one to do this. It's like, he's not precious with Steve Jobs. Like, like you said, like Steve Jobs comes off quite a bit like an asshole in this movie, like, like throughout, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I really like that. I, that's a really interesting pick. And I, I, it's funny. Cause you would, if, had you said that two weeks ago, I would have been like, I haven't thought about that movie in forever, but I was literally just watching clips from it. <laughs> yeah, it rules. I would. We should watch it again one of these nights. Absolutely. Um, and I won't. Uh, so <laughs> my number 20. Whoa, well, are we at? Are we at 20 now? Yeah, here we go. Oh, wow. So let's let's start. The, let's start the engine up on our best. No, sorry. Our favorite films of the 2010s. I mean, we basically have, are just going from 25 to one now at this point. So right. um, I don't plan on touching on these movies really any longer than we just did with the honorable mention. So, yeah, um, uh, I do have some. I had some honorable honorable mentions that I will just lift list off really really quickly before we get into this. I won't I won't go into depth. I'll just name a bunch of movies. Mm-hmm. I'll do that also. Uh, I have Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, Blue Valentine, You Were Never Really Here, Whiplash, and We Need to Talk About Kevin. Uh, these movies are movies that I revisited recently. Um, not unlike the four that I mentioned earlier that did not make my honorable mentions or my top. 20 but you could basically just say they're in my top you know 40 of the decade like if i really thought about it but um before we get into this yeah now let me give you some of mine uh tree of life baby by the way if you're out there watching tree of life or going to watch it for the first time do not watch the director's cut whichever was saying earlier um i love the tree of life and the director's cut is worse Um, so tree of life is not on your list and it's not wasn't even in your top 25 Right. It was close. It was up there. Okay. So we're in for a very interesting. I don't know if we're going to have the crossover. Like that five. I can't wait to put that on Instagram and have people suggest. But that's. I don't know if we're going to get to five crossover. We've had zero crossover so far. I mean, and we haven't admitted if we've had crossover, I guess. Well, also, let me let me say some of the more here, but you got to keep a poker face because I'm worried that I'm going to hit some of yours here. Sure. I think I did hit some of yours, but go ahead. Um, Before Midnight, Whiplash, Birdman. Uh, Inherent Vice, I'm sorry, PTA, I love you. First yeah. Reformed, Moonlight, Take Shelter, I saw recently wow. and thought was excellent. Yeah. And uh, Detroit and Lady Bird, come on. Awesome. Yeah, all right. I'm keeping a very, very straight yeah. face. Good, good. All right, give me your 20 here. Uh, uh, by the way, none of those movies you just listed are in my top 20. <laughs> okay, all right. Hey, that helps, you know. <laughs> so, but we're naming a bunch of movies. And you named a bunch of good movies there. A couple of those I don't really like, but... I think that we need to have a, a little mini discussion before we get into this. We're naming a lot of good movies. How do the 2010s fare for you? Let's say we did a top 20 of the of the 2000s uh, someday. Do you think that list is a lot stronger than your top of the 2010s? Well, it's interesting because I think my – well, the 2010s is absolutely one of my tastes developed the most. Right. right? And I'm guessing that's the same for you. Yeah, So that, that, but I, w- I think that one thing that comes into play is like – I think that we're we're further removed from the 2000s, which is, I mean, at towards the very tail end of the 2000s is when I was starting to develop taste, if I ever even got there, really. But, um, and, and many would argue I didn't. Uh, but yeah, that's a really good point. I guess I was developing taste through the 2010s, so I think my list would be better, quote unquote. But I think the 2000s, there was a lot of really, really good cinema in the 2000s. And I've been able to revisit it a lot more since it was, you know, not. I have some movies on here from like 2019, 2018. They're pretty recent. So I've only gotten to see them a couple of times. Um, so in my mind, 2000s is a stronger decade than the 2010s. But 
uh, you know, once the 2030s hit, I might look back and be like, no, no, no. The 2010s were absolutely a much better decade for cinema. So, I, I mean, we're all just – it's all a matter of time. Well, I think it's the same in my mind also. But I, I think um, I think it's, it's very different because if we go back to that last decade, it's because we are removed from that time. You know, it's very different. Whereas these movies – we saw pretty much all of these movies maybe in theaters um, when they were coming out and we experienced the discourse around them, which I think does kind of influence a little bit, at least to some degree. That is a great point. I'm I, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm just going to glance over my list and see if there's any movies on here that I have not seen on the big screen. And I definitely, there's definitely one on here that I actually have never seen on the big screen. That's very interesting that you point that out. The, does it, uh, cause uh, how do you have your list? By the way, I literally wrote mine down on paper. Uh, I have mine on my notes app. <laughs> okay, cool. Do you <laughs> see anything on your list right now that you didn't see in theaters? Um, I think it's just one also. Interesting. Very interesting yeah. Yeah. that there would be a movie in our top 20 of the 2010s that we didn't even see in a movie yeah, theater. There's two, actually, but um, there's, it's because it's a special caveat, and we'll talk about that. Um, ooh, uh, would you say that your list skews more international than American? Uh, I I was kind of trying to – I felt bad about putting mostly American, um, but I yeah. did, also didn't want to like dilute myself from it. But I think I got a good mix. Uh, mine's heavily American as, as one would guess who listens, you know, it's like my favorite movies are like, a lot of people say that my taste is like, or even the stuff I program a lot of the times, there's a lot of new classics, you know, quote unquote. And, um, yeah. So a lot of this is like slightly more mainstream American movies and that's fine. I don't, I'm not shying away from that in any way. Um, but let's, let's kick it off with one. That's not either of those things, I guess my number 20 is a uh, Gaspar Noé film, and it is uh, one of my favorite films that came out in the year 2018, and it is called Climax. Um, I think an unbeatable theatrical experience that I have a, a uh, definitely a liking to because uh, we, I played it here at the theater. It was my favorite movie we played that year in terms of presentation. Uh, the crowd that came out to it seemingly knew exactly what they were getting into. Uh, we cranked up the sound. We played it very late at night for a week, and we locked the front door basically when the movie started, and it felt like the Frida Cinema was a club for that week. It felt underground. The movie felt dangerous at times, even though I would actually call it probably Gaspar Noah, his like, mildest movie, until we watch Vortex. But I think that there's just no- – this is my favorite Gaspar Noah film. Uh, it's probably his most accessible, but for that reason, I really – had fun with this movie i think this is at the end of the day i wish that gaspar noe had directed the suspiria remake that luca guadagnino got because this is the vibes that i want in my suspiria remake and i know a lot of people love that suspiria remake and it's not on my list it should have been on my list that i gave you movies that i should have revisited before doing this (laughs) but I just think that this movie is it's it's an experience and that's why it's kind of on the outside of my list number 20 because I can't claim it as a masterpiece but I can claim that it's personal to me and that I had a blast with it. I I okay, it's not on my list but I completely agree with everything you said about it. Um I loved it. I was one of those people. I went to see it at the Frida and I just you summed it up perfectly. That's exactly how I feel. And also it stars Sofia Botella, who is literally the best part of every movie she's ever been in. And I just can't wait to see her in more stuff. Like, if you look up her filmography, 
it is there's a good chance that she's in five or six movies where I can pinpoint that she is the best part of that movie. Maybe she needs to be in better movies. <laughs> That's probably the problem. Uh, but yeah, no. There's I mean, could this movie climax have been quote unquote better? Yes. Do I love it? Yes. It's not my number twenty. Let's hear it. Great work. Um, mine is Grand Budapest, which is not on your list. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I thought I had stomped on something very. Yeah. So close to my list i love this movie i really really like this movie yeah no i thought it was great i thought it's my favorite wes anderson for sure um i just love the sense of humor in it i mean it's 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 just west at the top of his game you know you know what you're getting into it's beautiful i think the story's great um there you go let's keep going wow uh well it's not on my list so if you want to continue to expand on it i mean I feel um, like what 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 can I say more than that? You know, I, I think this is probably maybe going to be one of the more visited movies. Um, interesting. So you know, you know what Grand Budapest is, and if you haven't seen it, watch it. I think you'll like it. I want to ask you some questions that'll give away the rest of your list, I guess. But I'm just curious. Like, is this the only Wes on your list this time? He won't say. He won't say. He's gone silent, folks. All right. Um, this is in wait, my wait. top three Wes. What? I'll, I'll answer if you answer. Do you have any Wes on your list? I do not have any Wes Anderson because this would be the Wes Anderson I'd have on my list. Yeah. Well, guess what? I don't have any more Wes Anderson. I <laughs> okay. So you <laughs> felt it feels like you felt obliged to put a Wes Anderson movie in your top ten of the decade. No, I love Grand Budapest. I, yeah. I really enjoy that movie. No, it's great. I think it's top three Wes Anderson. So I think it's it's definitely earned. I think um, the other two would be from the two thousands. So mm-hmm. basically. You know, what? there's no S on my list, and that's fine. And this is a great movie, and Ralph, Ray Fiennes is so oh, – I would have yeah. never thought Ray Fiennes would have fit into a Wes Anderson movie. But then again, I would have never thought, like, Gene Hackman would have fit into one. So, you know, <laughs> I love when he grabs these actors. and th- Like, Benicio. Benicio on French yeah. Dispatch. Like, I'm like, what is he doing in a Wes Anderson movie? And then they're always great. So mm-hmm. um, definitely uh, some a director that's been kind of criticized in the past of being, like, one of those machines that is so obsessed with – the frame and the actor's kind of in the middle of the frame and he's obsessed with everything around the actor, but actually gets very good performances from his actors. So shout out to Wes, uh, shout out to, to Wes. Definitely. Yeah. Um, my number 19 film, God, back to back a 24 films. Uh, my list is going to make be me full sick. And my list is going to be full of them folks. I'm sorry. Cause it's the rise of neon right now. Neon is taking over. They're going to, they're going to usurp a 24 soon, but in the 2010s, a24 was king in the 2010s, and uh, I got a shout-out. Number 19, uh, Jeremy Saulnier's Green Room. Woo! Yeah. A movie we've done on this podcast? No, we've done Blue Ruin. Right. We've done Blue Ruin. That's correct. Yeah. So this is a movie made for absolutely – just if you had told me, like, hey, the guy who made Blue Ruin is going to make a movie about, like – this punk band that gets locked in a green room and has to fight their way out against like Nazis who were like, I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> like that sounds so good. <laughs> and it is. And the, the cast is, you know, I, I, I really love what they did with Patrick Stewart. Uh, Macon Blair is always really, really good. Um, our, our dearly departed Anton Yelchin is really good in this. Uh, Imogene Poots. This was the rise of Imogene Poots. He's so, so good in this. Um, and Aaliyah Shawkat's in this, like literally one of my favorite actresses. So, going back and watching it in preparation for uh, this list, uh, it hits so hard. The violence is so believable. Um, you know, it's just it's just a, a high concept movie that he just knocks out of the park. I feel like, and it's just everything that it should be. There's some really good jokes in there. There's some awesome callbacks. Uh, the Nazi punk, the Nazi punks fuck off scene is is iconic. 
Um, I, th- I think it's great. I think I, I really think that from A to Z, uh, this deserves to be in my top 20. And I wrestled with it for a little bit until I rewatched it. And I was like, oh, for sure, 100%. So my number 19, A24's Green Room. If I asked you nicely, would you do a Blue Ruin Green Room double feature at the Frida? I mean, you wouldn't even have to ask me that nicely. I mean, that sounds that sounds great. It, it would just have to be before Sonya does something. I wouldn't just do it out of the blue. Uh, blue Ruin. All right, yeah. let's get to uh, my number 19. Um, Meyerowitz Stories, new and selected. <laughs> wow. So, folks, that five crossover... It's not going to happen anytime soon, I'll say that. <laughs> uh, this is not Bombbox's latest, but his second to latest, his penultimate, if that works for this uh, situation. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think this movie is very charming. Um, where Bombbox, you know, is his strongest is when he's directing, like, very real, small moments out of these characters, you know, and, and the he crafts these screenplays that I think lend itself very well to sort of just encapsulating very real people. Um, and you see that in Meyerowitz. I've seen it a few times now. That's one of them. That, that's the caveat movie because it wasn't really in theaters when it came out. Um, it was just on Netflix. Interesting. Yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to, I would have never landed here, but yeah, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good point. Uh, this is another one that I showed my grandma when I was over there um, and she liked it too. Uh, I don't, I, it's harder to pick up, I think, with the Spanish stuff, like the, really beautiful detail of overlapping dialogue that goes on in this movie. This movie can yeah. convert pretty well into an opera, I think. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's just an excellent slice of life story with some great performances, including Adam Sandler. I was going to say, this is our first Sandler on the list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, no, Hubie. No, Hubie doesn't. Okay. Yeah. That came out in 2020. That came yeah, out in 2020. Yeah, up yours. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Good. That's awesome. That's uh, I love that, I love that pick for you. I really do. I, uh, <laughs> by the way, it played at the New Beverly when it came out. So if you didn't happen to hop up there one of those right. two nights, then yeah, you wouldn't have been able to see it in a theater. And that's that's fascinating, actually. My number seven uh, is the movie that I couldn't catch in theaters, um, but I have played here at the Frida. I just didn't come back to see it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so where are we at? Number eighteen. Number eighteen. My number eighteen is a film we have done on this podcast. It is called <laughs> Fuck. It's an A24 movie. <laughs> yeah. The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh-huh. Uh, a movie that, and I don't, is this all recency bias? Because if you would ask me, and uh, my girlfriend can completely confirm this for me, and she like, because she went and saw Killing of a Sacred Deer, and she liked it off the bat. So she didn't like that when I came out, I told her, like, hey, maybe don't go see this one. Like, I don't know if you're going to like it or not. She thought that meant that I didn't like the film. I liked the film. I just didn't like it as much as, uh, at the time, I didn't like it as much as anything else he had made. So uh, now, I, shoot, man, it's it's got to be up there in terms of his filmography. I, I really I really enjoyed our discussion with it. We had a friend of the show, Ian Hawk, on. And um, I just love it's like Kubrick directing a horror film that takes place in the suburbs that has this insane cosmic punishment and these awesome performances from Colin Farrell and just an, an amazing standout performance from Barry Keegan, who has just caught fire since then. Mm-hmm. He's like in every movie now, and he should be because yeah, he's great. He <laughs> uh, he's awesome. And it just got that hollowed out Yorgos feel to it. It's just punishingly funny at times and beautiful and 
yeah i i what else can i say about this film and other than if it's not on your list i'll be upset but uh no i won't be upset i don't care i'm really upset that i put three a20 let me look forward okay my next one is not a24 so i'm looking forward to talking about no that spoilers. but um but this is it man this is the yorgos he lands on my list uh in my top 20 and how how could he not really i mean like he had such a great decade so uh yeah, yeah. um yeah i think um I, I'm in the same boat that you were in. Like, I liked it at first, but rewatching it for the podcast really solidified it for me. Um, but I'm going to go to my next number here and say that I'm getting all of my Americans out of the way, okay, at the bottom here. And number 18 okay. is Gone Girl. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, cool. I like Gone Girl. Go for it. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm, I love David Fincher. Um, uh, and I, I know he sometimes gets bashed but and probably rightly so for the way he films his films but um i think he's a fantastic director i also think he's one of the best in the game still and i think gone girl is such a, like a cool unique take it is a revenge story isn't it but it's sort of like a great twist on that normal convention i think uh what's her name jillian flynn is uh yeah. awesome when she writes screenplays i think she rules 100 percent as a screenplay writer, because I haven't read her books, I'm sure they rock also. Yeah, we don't read books on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I know there was that longtime rumored uh, new movie that David Fincher was going to put out that he directed and she wrote. And mm. boy, oh man, I, I hope that's true and that it eventually comes out. Um, but Gone Girl, another one I think that a lot of people have probably seen when they're listening to this movie. It's just dark and brutal and clever with two smart characters with a lot of human moments that end up backfiring that I really like. Um, yeah, it's just uh, it's a cool, turbulent mess. Interesting casting with Rosamund Pike, too, because I know that Reese Witherspoon's company had optioned the rights to make it into a movie, and they she was supposed to star in it, right? And it's like, I, you know, I, so we've kind of seen Reese Witherspoon play like that kind of chaotic. Yeah, it just wouldn't have it. I, she probably would have been good in it and stuff like that, but I think that, like, not pulling Rosamund, Rosamund Pike was not, pulled from obscurity but you would never see her like first or first i mean she thinks she's first building this movie because ben affleck's role is so small he's also like the perfect casting for that role but mm -hmm. i think that the magic of gone girl a movie that i've seen i think once but i really do like is G gillian flynn's trash pulp novel writing style mixed with the auteurist vision of a david fincher i think like that mesh works extremely well uh and i yeah, i'd love to see them work again definitely yeah absolutely all right mine well my number 17 is not an a24 film uh, -huh. uh but I, I mentioned blue valentine earlier uh but this Ooh. is not blue valentine it's a, it's a movie from the same director though here we go I know uh, it is. And this is this is not on your list uh, uh my number 17 is the place beyond the pines nice um, a movie that when I saw it in 2013 uh, absolutely shook me up. Like, definitely, I don't, it's a movie with a unique structure. It's not a movie with, you know, many movies have done this structure, but I wasn't expecting this structure. I wasn't expecting what happens to Ryan Gosling's character. He's very good in it. Bradley Cooper's really good in it. Uh, Rose Burns in it. Uh, Mahersha Ali's in it. Ray Liotta's in it. It's just an incredible, incredible cast. And uh, yeah, who else? The, the kids are played by Emery Cohen and um, oh my gosh, who's who's the kid from uh, Chronicle who like ha he had oh, a yeah. rough uh, Dane 
Dane DeHaan, he had yeah. such a rough run at it. Like they tried to give him like movie stardom, and he yeah. like would make like Valerian and like a cure for wellness. You know, like movies that are like not his fault. And he's like working with these weird European auteurs, and they just like bomb in America. <laughs> but um, yeah, great cast. The opening scene is like one of my. The, actually, the opening like forty five minutes are like uh, seriously. If the whole movie was that, basically that segment, I think it, this would be like my favorite movie of all time. Uh, hmm. Ben Mendelsohn's in it too. Anyways, just really really great and um about the sins of our fathers which is like one of my favorite themes in a movie uh score is just i'm gonna say an old phrase score is off the chain like i cannot get enough of that score mm-hmm. uh just you know costing riding a, a motorbike stealing from banks just if you know if you if you ride like ride if you what's he say if you ride like lightning you're gonna crash like thunder and uh, I love this movie. That's my number 17. Nice. Okay. Good choice. Good choice. Do you, uh, you like that movie? Yeah, I do. I own that movie. Oh, cool. Um, and speaking awesome. of which, if I can reference my friend Ephraim again in the second time this episode, I've never brought him up to you before, and he's real. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, this doesn't sound right. Uh, that's like his favorite movie. So uh, we'll have him on the show sometime. We need but, to start having some guests back on the show. Remember when we used to do that? I don't recall. <laughs> All right, my 17 is to get out of the Americas. Here's another Palmer, baby. You want to guess? Another Palmer. Is it Secret and Lies? Guess. No. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll edit that out. I'll edit that out. <laughs> Here, go, go quiet. No, go quiet for a little bit. That's a good joke. You should leave it in. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> go, go give, give me another guess, a real guess. Um, I will get... <laughs> I was going to say Fahrenheit 9-11. Uh, um, let's say... Is it... It's not the square... Oh, it's the square. Is it the square? Yeah. Wow. Did you just see this for the first time? No, I've seen this a handful of times, actually. Did you come see it when we played at the theater? I did not. Oh, my God. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, because I've seen it so many times, I like did, I wasn't in the mood to see it again. Uh, but I do love this movie. This movie is funny. This movie is legitimately funny. I think it's a really cool uh, structure to it, with following around this guy who runs like an art museum, a modern art museum. And sort of dealing with all these crazy things within it. There's a lot of like vignettes almost within this film that I think work really well. And a lot of like, I don't know, it just really goes all over the place. But I think it has such a unique tone to it that I I really connected with it. Yeah, I have a confession to make. I've never seen this movie. Whoa, dude, you got to see this movie. I know. And it played here on the big screen. And I just... Uh, if I didn't program at this theater, I feel like I'd be here all the time watching movies. I just find it hard. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I enjoy our apes of God after hour stuff, you know, cause I don't have to worry about anything while the movie's playing, mm-hmm. but man, I should have, we should have apes of God, uh, the, the old, the square there. I haven't seen it. I really yeah. would like to though. Cause I think there's a set piece in here. Uh, I mean, you probably also, the square has one of the worst photoshopped posters I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But in that poster, uh, there's a, it, it's a, picture of a scene that's like i think would go down as one of the great set pieces of the 2010s yeah it looks bananas it, it looks it looks really really crazy yeah i loved that and uh it's so good because it, it is taking place in that movie already um and then rewatching it makes it even more enjoyable because you see the hints towards that scene yeah there's some good moments in there you got to see it nice okay I, i'll check it out i'll check it out uh my number 16 so this is weird my number 16 is a movie, and I didn't put this together till now, that I saw in the same exact movie theater, the same exact auditorium that I saw my number 17, The Place Beyond the Pines at. And it was at the Landmark on Pico. 
up up there oh. in the old uh, Los Angeles area. Nice, yeah. Not the same theater, the same auditorium. I won tickets. Uh, now my buddy won tickets on K Rock to go see this movie early because it came out. It came out in 2010, so just mm-hmm. you know, K Rock was still a thing back then. Mm-hmm. And um, so, Pablo Lorraine put out two movies this year. One that I really, really loved. Two that I really, really loved. Honestly, I love both of them. Um, Spencer and his movie before that starred Natalie Portman. Um, this movie that I'm talking about also stars Natalie Portman, and it's called Black Swan. Uh, do, do you see what I was doing there at all? Uh, I, I, you were doing some kind of confusing red herring. Yes, I was trying to throw you off the scent. And it worked, I guess. I just didn't understand what you were talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was leaning towards it being Jackie, but then you would have had to think that Jackie came out in 2010 for the mm-hmm. red herring to work. So, anyways, Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan. A, uh, we're talking about Suspiria with Climax. Darren Aronofsky was attached to, to make the remake of Suspiria. And, again, this is the energy I wanted with that Suspiria remake. Uh, I love a psychological thriller. This is basically just the wrestler again, but with, like, this titanic performance from Natalie Portman. And, I mean, I'm not complaining. I love the wrestler, and I love Black Swan. Um, I think that she's – I think she's vicious in this movie. I think, it's like one of the, I think this is one of the best performances ever. Um, mm-hmm. I, I literally watched it at that K-Rock screening with that K-Rock crowd. Thank you. And walked out and was like – that was amazing. That movie was amazing. So um, I'm sitting here damn near 12 years later telling you that it's in my top 16 of the decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I love the way that Aronofsky like shoots a movie like this kind of following around a flawed character who's looking for perfection and her relationship with her mother and the body horror elements of it that like only he could like basically him and David Cronenberg could like inject into a movie. That's not about, it's not a body horror movie, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and Spencer did a little bit of that recently actually, but I, I just, I really like this movie. Do you like black Swan? I love black Swan. I love Aronofsky. Uh, I love mother. So shove that in your pipe. That's insane. See, like, like I hated that movie, but I, it's it's impeccably made. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I love Black Swan, Wrestler, Mother. Keep them coming, Aronofsky. Where are you at? Noah was not bad. Yeah, I was going to say, you a big Noah head? It's not too bad. I rewatched it actually recently, again in Spanish with my grandma, and I, I didn't mind it. Interesting. Yeah, I've actually never seen Noah. Um, I probably should give it a, I should give it a go, probably. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I ever told you, but when I went to go see Noah in theaters, um, it was like halfway through the movie and it was a pretty packed theater. And one guy like shouted at the top of his lungs, Jesus Christ is our savior. This movie is a fake. Interesting. And I was like, I bent down in my seat and I was like, I'm going to get shot now. This is it. This, is it. <laughs> this fucking Russell Crowe CGI movie about <laughs> Noah's Ark. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And my, my friend turned to me and he's like, all movies are fake. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's true. Yeah. That's all true. Right. All right, my 16, my sweet 16 is Okja. Really? Yeah, I guess this one oh. I didn't see in theaters either, actually. Um, I get what you're saying now, by the there might be five crossover, uh, but it'll be towards the top of the list, yeah. I feel like, because we're like, we're, our wires are missing right now, at least, <laughs> yeah. on, at least on my end. Yeah, I think uh, I absolutely loved Okja. That was probably my favorite movie of that year. I think it was 2017. Um, yeah, I, somewhere around there, yeah. I think some of the the best action sequences in a long time, for sure. Yeah, the, especially with the use of CGI. Yeah, but the, there's that the chase scene that happens. You know when they're when uh, 
she's trying to free Okja for the first time, and we actually are introduced to the uh, AF. Yeah, are you talking about the scene that starts in the mall and ends like with the car chase? Yeah, or I think it's reversed. Starts with the car oh, chase, okay. ends in the mall. But the right, ADF, right. yeah, and the way that they're introduced is really, really cool. Also, um, but that whole movie is just like wonderful filmmaking with a lot of heart and a lot of like. I, I love that sort of like idea of a lot of fa- political factions in a movie vying for something. Um, and it usually only really fits in an epic, but I thought it fit really well here in Okja. My cat agrees with me. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can hear. Um, Okja, yeah, Okja is like that type of movie that I really want to go out on a limb for and like defend is like secretly one of Bong's best movies. But like, then you actually look at his filmography and you're like, ah, damn, I can't, I can't really <laughs> defend this as like a top five Bong. But like, it's um, it's just ET, you know, it, it's ET. No. Yeah, it's E.T. pushing veganism down our throats. F you. This guy uh, with Netflix money. This movie makes uh-huh. me sick. No, um, I can't Jake wait till I can't uh, wait till we do a uh, sexy bong, sexing bong. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's very good. I should write that down. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Tilda Swinton are given like all the scenery to chew in this movie, mm-hmm. but it's like Steven Yeun and Paul Dano and the little girl. I think that like trifecta is so so good. This like has one of the moments that made me laugh out loud because. This is a great example of a movie that uh, I only saw at home because it didn't it didn't play on the I mean actually actually the Frida Cinema played it but no one showed up. Right. Um, and uh, also you, the New Bev played it. Yes, the it. New Bev really played it and that's how they got their Oakshot dogs. But did you see it on the big screen? No, I didn't. And that's a bummer. So this is your second one that you didn't see. Yeah, uh yeah, I didn't realize but there's another one that that oh, isn't wow. that isn't a Netflix one. So the, the, these two are the caveats, right? Yeah, this guy uh, hates the big screen experience. Yeah, okay. Um, but I also think, I think the CGI was, was solid enough. I yeah. think Bong brought, you know, the host stuff to it. I think this is one of his bests. Um, wow. And I think the ending, if I want to cry, I will watch this movie. Yeah, I, I like Okja. I definitely need to rewatch it, but it feels like the one at the end of his career that will have to be like, yeah, that one he put out for Netflix that like not that many, honestly, not that many people saw. Um, right. it's good it's yeah. actually quite good you it's know? good it's nice uh, being being in the post parasite era because so many people have seen that and i could go like oh you should check out uh, oak gen they'll be like oh what is that i don't know and then you go oh it's uh what the guy made before parasite and then that sparks some interest yeah i mean where it where it falls in his filmography is so interesting i feel like mm-hmm. it's just like it kind of feels like a middle movie between snowpiercer and parasite but it's like so good I think he may have made it so quickly because it was because it was a Netflix movie and the budget was pretty high, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I really like the scene in the truck when uh, Paul Dano doesn't speak. Uh, is it Japanese? Oh my gosh, it's Korean. Yeah, Cor- fucking goddamn. Of course it's Korean because because Paul was <laughs> of course. But and Stephen Yoon, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'm not naming people who are Korean. I'm gonna have to cut that out, otherwise <laughs> I'm I'm never gonna be able to be on SNL. Take it from the top of that one. No, I'm not cutting that out. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, um, I, 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 I'll, I'll be a fool. I'll be a fool for the people's pleasure. But uh-huh. that 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 translation joke kills me. It's so funny. It's more than that. I think that's one of the better scenes I've ever seen. I think that scene is so solid, and like could only really be done. I mean, it could be done, I guess, in like a novel or something. But I think the cinematic way that it's done is so. It's a gut punch. You know, you really feel it. And I mean, that's. Mostly what the movie is. It's a lot of emotions done really well, delivered perfectly, I think. He's the genre mash master. That's he what is. he is. Yeah, what absolutely. All right. Speaking of Bong Joon-ho, oh. my number 15 
if Spike Jones is her, <laughs> um, a movie I love, uh-huh. uh, and I know some people don't love it. Uh, Arcade Fire did the score for it. Joaquin Phoenix stars in it. So I shouldn't like it. Those are two things that I just said. And why don't you uh, tie it back to the discourse? What's that? Tie it back to our discourse. Her? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, Chris Pratt is in it. He's the best man. Oh, yeah, and he's good in it. Yeah. Yeah, just the little details that Spike Jones. I love that Spike Jones comes in and doesn't do a movie with Charlie Kaufman, and then he ends up winning. Spike Jones wins an Oscar for the screenplay, (laughs) which just cracks my shit up because, Mm -hmm. like, Charlie Kaufman, if he had wrote, written this movie, we'd be talking about an all-timer. Like, this would right. be an absolute all-timer. But Spike Jones does a fantastic job with it. So, uh, take a shot, by the way. I said fantastic again. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I, I love the futurism in it. Uh, the cast is so great. And just all the little touches that he puts in, like how people wear their pants in the future. Mm-hmm. How L.A. is just how Japan looks now. That's how L.A. is going to look in the future. And just the... You know, the struggle of um, uh, a man who can't make human-to-human connection that has to do this. And I just think that the movie is extremely obvious but done very, very well. And I, I, I feel bad for people that can't – not not that they that can't relate to the central conceit but can't understand the central conceit. Like if this exe- if this existed today – there would be so many people in relationships with their phones. And mm-hmm. that's, I, I, people try to simplify it. This is, I guess, this was 2013. So this was like eight years ago. But people tried to simplify it. So like, no one would do that. So, so, I'm like, dude, so many people would be in relationships with their phones rather than having to actually talk to real humans. Like, um, I, I just, the, the video game stuff cracks me up. There's just a lot of good, funny Spike Jones stuff in here and just enough, like, existential crisis that's like it just hits that sweet spot great mm-hmm. movie great movie i completely agree i wish this was on my list I, I love her so much what do you mean you wish it was on your list i wish it was on my list i saw it i i think it's such an excellent movie the last i've seen it a good amount of times also the last time i see it i wasn't as hot on it um but i still love it i think it, it holds a really wonderfully romantic spot in my heart Um, Yeah, and it also has some characters who just out loud say exactly how they're feeling, and it's one of those movies that completely gets away with it. Like, Joaquin Phoenix, in voiceover, is, like, talking about how he's feeling, and I'm like, this is working. It's working for me. I don't know what to tell you. Have you seen that video of uh, the scene of him on the beach, and someone records, like, just his forehead, and it looks like a face? (laughs) No, I have not. I'll I'll show you that one. Please, Um, send it over. Um, All right. So, good choice. Uh, my number 15, a uh, German film uh, called Der Favorite. <laughs> I mean, that's He's what it, back. That's what it would be called in Germany. Uh, Heroes, of course, called The Favorite. The uh, I love The Favorite. Yeah. The Favorite is so good. It's beautiful to look at. It's funny. Uh, it's got... My favorite, my my two favorite little things about this movie, and it's a testament to the writing of it, are how well it, or how like well it portrays like the removal of these um, people in power from the people that they control. And every once in a while, we just hear about a war or whatever, and it just goes over right over their heads, and like we really get that. Obviously, Olivia Coleman rules. Um, oh. I've been following her for a long time because Peep Show also rules. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, the cinematography, everything kind of comes together. And and I don't really like, uh, it's Nicholas Holt, right? Yes. Yeah, I usually don't like him, but he is 
amazing in this movie and i love what happens to his character who sort of plays both sides he's the only one who comes out on top at the end of this movie which is such a good joke yeah i mean this this is a, this is a really great one i I, saw, I think i saw it in theaters twice uh the shooting scenes like how, how do you beat rachel vice like how do you beat rachel vice in a movie you just can't mm-hmm. you can't do it mm-hmm. yeah and uh, everything like i said just comes together and there you go yeah we'll 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 lightly talk about that one for now i suppose (laughs) yeah i have that feeling just kidding it's not on my list yeah right it's not it's not on my list i swear no way i do like it dude you're so (laughs) anti-lgbt yeah yeah that's just like that that is like a side plot of this movie but yeah yeah uh did we say emma stone emma stone always good yeah she does a good job yeah, someone who's like in a movie sometimes, and they go like, "Ah, she's fine." And then like I see the movie, and I go, "No, she's good." Like Cruella, she just carries Cruella, one of the great actresses of our time, absolutely. Yeah, and it's cool because I think you know Lorgos didn't doesn't have the screenplay credit here. I'm sure he had a hand in it somehow, um, but it's nice to see that he's just sort of removed from that and just bringing his direction to it. And I think I think it makes for his fullest film, if that makes sense, his most rounded out one. Yeah, it, it it's maybe his most accessible mm-hmm. as well, even mm-hmm. though it's like a period piece and kind of weird and darkly comedic and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it feels like everything just kind of came together formally. You know, technically everything is perfect. Right. Um, I wouldn't say perfect, but it's not on my list. Well, but you already I, great, said it, great, so. great movie. Great uh-huh. movie. My number 14 is an A24 film. Yeah. Uh, director Alex Garland. Time to talk about Ex Machina. Yeah. I, uh, I, know, I know a movie that's coming up, by the way. Oh, do you? Yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, like, if you talk to me an hour a week or more on a podcast and you can't <laughs> tell me, like, five of my top ten movies of the 2010s, then that's fine. But. Uh-huh. Ex Machina, if you could pick a perfect cast for a movie, like this movie, if you could, like, Domino Gleeson, Oscar Isaac, and Alicia Vikander had to have been his first choices for, like, all of those roles. I don't know a movie that I can think of, maybe a few more on my list above this, but are literally perfectly cast. Like, I, I can't I can't think of... Oscar Isaac comes into his own in this movie. This is, like, the one that really, like, illuminated me to, like, oh, this dude's a, this dude is a star. He's a, he's a weird, like actor that's a star and also a great actor which doesn't always happen you know what i mean Mm -hmm. he's so magnetic he plays like the douchey billionaire tech guy domino gleason who is like has like an extremely uh very very good resume for the 2010s mind you Mm -hmm. um and then vikander who's like oscar isaac so good in everything and uh i think that for his first movie alex garland directs the shit out of this i mean just so confident production design is great it won an oscar for special effects which i think it deserved because there's a lot of special effects in this movie but you don't know at all like mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like i don't know movie looks great it's written so well there's that awesome dance sequence in the middle there with oscar isaac that's kind of become iconic mm-hmm. awesome performances I, I don't know i mean we're just going through this list and i'm just saying everything's awesome and it is yeah. and x mocking the rules and I, I don't know what else to tell you and i add everything by saying that i don't know what else to tell you <laughs> Um, I haven't seen. I've only seen that movie once in theaters. I'm not a fan. Didn't like it too much. Really? Yeah, I think I, I probably would like it uh, more because it was more before I kind of developed my taste. 
Um, and I'm sure uh, I would like it more if I revisited it, but I just wasn't too into it. Yeah. Well, maybe because you're a robot, I feel like you sh- you should relate to this movie really well. If I'm a robot, how can I love? <laughs> well, that's, that's I said what I said. What do you, what do you want me to, I'm not going to take it back. All right. Um, this is a, the perfect example of a movie that I'll just say, let let this movie do the talking. Just like th- this this movie is exactly what it is, and I'm, I'm sorry you don't like it. Yeah, I might try to see it again, but I don't know. It just I don't like Dom Gleason that much, honestly. He uh, just wow. doesn't vibe with me. I don't know. He's he's such an atom in this movie. Anyway, <laughs> whatever. Um, all right, so this next one, I think maybe the and I mean, hopefully, is really the only movie on our list here that uh, has Trump's face in it. <laughs> okay. You know what it is? Trump's face. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't know. Is it a documentary? No, it's a okay full-fledged movie uh it Tell is me. by chang dong lee baby it is burning uh see i didn't put burning in my top 25 and I, i'm actually looking at this list as we go down already regretting movies that i have forgotten yeah um, same here <laughs> this might be the first one that you've said where i went ah that should have at least been one of the ones that i rattled off in the beginning right yeah it's great another steven yoon pick here um he yep. might be in a handful of, of mine here i'm not really looking um, but yeah, I got to see this movie as a double feature with another with Chang Dong Lee actually there doing Q and A. Yeah, um, I, I was that at the Egyptian. No, it was at the Arrow, I think. Oh, cool! Up in Santa Monica, cool. Yeah, yeah, he was doing a couple of those. I almost went to one with him in person at the Egyptian, but I couldn't make it. I, I always buy tickets to movies in Hollywood that don't go. <laughs> um, it was really uh, enjoyable. He seems like a really down to earth director. Uh, he, he of course had a translator, so maybe he was full of himself. Uh, but it, it paired up with Secret Sunshine, which was also excellent movie. Um, but Burning, I think, is just very poetic. I'm actually not a fan of uh, Murakami's writings. Uh, I don't know how do you, how do you, you you don't read, but uh, <laughs> um, but I, I read I've only read one Murakami, and it's his longest, his magnum opus of one Q84. So I think I've got a pretty sound general opinion of his writing style, um, and I don't really like it. But I thought this translation as a movie worked really well with it. And I think the decisions that uh, Lee made here to make it more into a film work a lot better. And uh, it ends a lot more solidified, I think. Although there's still like a question up in the air at the end of the movie. Um, But yeah, I think the overall tone and the beauty of this film, just the way it was shot and everything, it makes it feel very isolated like the main character is. Uh, We really get sort of this connection to these very strange and sort of mystical characters um, that I thought was was poetic. Um, since we ended up just doing our top 25 anyway, we're going to call this episode because I already made the graphic. I already had friend of the show, Ian, make the graphics. So we're going to call our our top uh, uh, 20 favorite films of the 2010s. But we ended up doing 25 anyway. So I'm going to call number 13 our last movie of part one, if that's okay with you. Works for me. All right. Lucky number 13, baby. Say that again, clean. Lucky number 13, baby. Yeah, and honestly, I have a little bit of time now before we do part two to make some adjustments to my oh, list because oh, I realized F-U. that I screwed, I screwed up some numbering. So, <laughs> But nothing screwed up about my final one that we're going to talk about here, uh, number 13. It's a horror movie, Adam. Oh. Do you want to guess what it is? Uh, yeah. It's not A24. It's not A24. What? That can't be. I know. I know, right? Weird. Like, horror movies existed outside of the A24 umbrella <laughs> in the 2010s. Uh, I'm going to say, I don't know. 
It's It Follows. Whoa, okay. David Robert Mitchell's It Follows is in my top 13 of the 2010s. Nice. Uh, a movie I saw on opening night mm-hmm. uh, was quite scary. Like three or four scenes that really creeped mm-hmm. me out. Um, this movie is one of those films that the more I watch it, the more I realize how much it breaks its own rules that it set, you know, sets up. It, it, it painstakingly sets up these rules and then breaks them, which I think is a cardinal sin in horror. But if we're talking about, you know, impeccably made horror films that came out in the 2010s, great score, yeah. cinematography, really great. Um, David Robert Mitchell, mostly an indie director known for um, the myth of the American sleepover before this. And then he went on to make Under the Silver Lake, which I'm sure is on your list coming up here pretty soon. <laughs> uh, you're uh, the that's guy who also... had Drive and Mission Impossible and James <laughs> Bond, so... And my honorable mentions, yeah. No, but Under the Silver Lake is a movie that you could see someone being. But anyway, you remind me of Andrew Garfield in that movie. But um, (laughs) (laughs) It Follows is – it's all vibes. Uh, Micah Monroe in the lead is like scream queen of the 2010s between this and the guest. I think that she honestly had a a great 2010s. I'd like to see her in more stuff. Um, Have you seen this movie? Uh, Yeah, I have have a steel book of it, Trevor. Okay, so yeah, all right, yeah. I think it. I think it's great. I think it's original. Um, I love just little touches that he puts in there, like when they go to the movie, uh, and there's like that creepy scene of the movie theater. They're not seeing Night of the Living Dead, right? Because uh, they could put that on the marquee. It's public domain, but they they decide to use a different public domain movie, uh, the Audrey Hepburn Cary Grant film Charade. <laughs> That's what they're seeing, and it's like these kids in like this area of like this outside area of detroit are going to see charade on like a friday night date night like i'm not buying it i'm not buying it so um some of the cgi is a little wonky and and the the finale doesn't quite work for me but absolutely one of my favorite horror scores probably of all time Mm -hmm. uh i just i love when these indie directors hop over to horror for a second and they just um I think he did a great job. I, I heard him talk about it at the New Beverly. I went and saw it at a midnight screening after a very long day at work. And within five minutes of hearing him talk about the movie or just his vibe overall, I walked out. <laughs> so I'm uh, not a fan of the man, David Robert Mitchell, but I love his movie. It follows. So that's going to close out my part one of the best of 2010s. Or sorry, the my favorites of the 2010s. Right. I would never try to say this is one of the best movie of the 2010s. But it's absolutely one of my favorites. Well, it's it's curious that you mentioned horror because let's go to my favorite number thirteen uh, movie. Your favorite number thirteen. Yeah, which is also horror, um, okay. and also a musical, and also a comedy, also kind of an animal uh, charade type of movie. You know where I'm going with this, Trevor? <laughs> also <laughs> animated. Ah, I don't know. Tell me. We're talking Holy Motors today. Oh. What the hell? Yeah. I I mean, I knew Holy Motors would be on your list, but it's, it's all the way down at number 13. I don't know. You know, I, I really, I don't know. Don't look at me, man. Well, you can ask me that when we finish. But um, yeah, Leo Carax hitting it out of the park. I think this movie is also uh, close to a perfect movie in a lot of ways, but it's also just riffing on everything. It's every movie at once, but no movie yeah. at all. But it has its own identity still. Um, and it's hilarious, you know. You can't take it seriously. It's a joke. It's sort of a yeah. continuation, in a way, from his um, short film in the anthology series Tokyo. Uh-huh. Which have you seen Tokyo? 
I have. You recommended it to me. And you were you sold it as like Leos and Bong and a couple. I was like, yeah, let's watch it. It's weird. American genre film archive owns the rights to Tokyo and Holy Motors. Like uh, <laughs> for those listening, American genre film archive it was based out of the Alamo Draft House and mostly makes 4K restoration, like great restorations of what people would consider to be trashy horror films. But now they've nabbed like the Werner Herzog collection, Holy Motors. To- so they're starting to dip their toe into art house and they do great, great work. So I had him send me over a link to watch it. Uh, yeah, interesting. I-, I think you had told me it was sort of a prelude to Holy Motors, but still when I watched it, I was like, oh, that's that's cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a really great, cool story. Um, well, it- I mean, if you haven't seen Tokyo, it's three directors. It's Bong Joon-ho, Leo Carax, and Michelle Gondry. So oh, how, how are you going to go wrong? I, I forgot that. that it was Michelle Gondry. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it's really cool. And anyway, Holy Motors, I think, is just... I feel like it might be the best and worst pick for an introduction to an art house movie. You know, if you're going to show people yeah. who are normally more mainstream, I don't know if it's the right pick, but it might be the exact right pick. It's just such distilled cinema. Like, like for me to try to sell my... By the way, not on my list. <laughs> so, so far, uh, at part one, we had zero crossover. So far. Uh, we, we haven't shown our cards. Like, maybe you mentioned one that I have on my list, or maybe I have... I don't know. We'll see. Right. But I actually, in my heart, believe we have zero crossover currently. I, d- I don't... Or, yeah, yeah. But I, I think we're going to hit that five. It may be in our top 12, for sure. But yeah. I think going into part two, it'll be fun to put online that we had zero crossover and then we'll let the we'll let the fans or i should say the listeners Mm -hmm. pick what's going to happen to us but this is cinema distilled for sure Uh, i will play it once a year at the frida cinema because in the 2010s it's like the did this win the palm no it didn't yeah this one should have won the palm this is a quintessential palm dior to Mm -hmm. me like it feels just like french feels very french no uh (laughs) yeah i don't know I, I feel like giving Leos the best director at Cannes for a net. Um, he may have won it for this, honestly. I think he probably did, actually. But that <laughs> would be a makeup for – it'd be a complete makeup for Holy Motors. I right. mean, this movie has aged – it will it will forever – you can watch this movie in like tw- – uh, you know, what would it be? 30, 20, 100 <laughs> years from now, right? Is that 100 years yeah, from now? Yeah, you can watch this movie in 2022. Wait, the – yeah. Wait, what is 100 years from now? That's 2120, right? Yeah. That's yeah, you're thinking so tw- a thousand. You know, you yeah, don't read, yeah. you you're not watch- very good at math either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could watch this movie in 2120 and be like, and it would look like probably what like a Buster Keaton movie looks like to us now, but that's because it's kind of like a Buster Keaton movie mm-hmm. or a movie that's like it's it's the cin- the language of cinema is so clear that like I feel like I feel like people can watch it in the future and be like, wow, that's how movies were in the 2010s, not knowing it's homaging and paying tribute to a hundred years of cinema that came before it. Right. Yeah. Labyrinth of Cinema tried and failed, but this one succeeds. <laughs> all right. All right. Calm down. <laughs> Rest in peace, Nobuhiko Nobu Obiyashi. Yeah, we love um, Obiyashi. Well, I think that really sums up our taste uh, really well. We'll see if we have any of that crossover, but uh, my number 13, it follows your number 13, Holy Motors. So, uh, yeah. How are you feeling about these lists so far? I honestly cannot believe that we haven't crossed over yet. It's cra- it is crazy. It is crazy. And I'm going to be 100% honest with you right now. Mm-hmm. For the rest of my list, I do not have a single movie written down that you have said already. I the exact same way that is crazy <laughs> yeah. that is crazy that is wild. but like you said maybe 
you know, it floats the to the top. rises to the top. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> exactly. So um, we're going to put it online out there. And the next 12 movies, if we have five crossover of the next 12 movies, it's got to be some insane form of punishment or something. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I just want to put yeah. it out there to let people know that we do have the Hot Ones hot sauces on hand. That's what I think we should just do. Yeah. I think we should just say because we're going to want to do it anyway eventually so um i think that we should incorporate like some sort of a hot sauce episode into our next one like uh, uh, you know if we do our if we do another episode of this like where we do our top 20 of like the 2000s we'll do it while we have to eat wings or something (laughs) that's too far uh, away we got to give these people their payoff but also i do want to let know that for those who have been paying attention um and trevor has mentioned it before i also bought uh, Resident Evil 8. So that's also ah. on the table if you want to punish us to make us play, play a scary movie. <laughs> Too <game>. scary. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that does it for part one. Adam, before we get out of here, um, uh, just so everyone knows, of course, next week we'll be dropping part two, which will have our numbers 12 through one. But do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah. Follow me on Letterboxd, Adam with three M's. By the way, uh, avid listener Ryan Leeds um, pointed out that uh, he – was listening to your last episode, Trevor, your solo episode. Sure. And, and you, you mentioned, as you often do, uh, that uh, I, I kind of roast you for your Captain Dill's um, username all the time. Yeah. And then he, he, he pointed out rightly, and I think everyone else would agree, that it's actually you who does the roasting. I, I don't come at you. You come at me. It's a defense mechanism. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to I have to throw that jab before you can even get near me. Uh-huh, nice try. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. All right. Uh, I'm on Letterboxd as well at uh, Captain Dills. Oh, by the way, do you have a website? that they, 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 they <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, Adam J.C. Wagner. I post the stuff I make. Yeah, awesome. I'm on Letterboxd at Captain Dills, like we said. Are you going to roast me? Perfect name. Okay, wow, you really lived up to it. Uh, On Twitter and Instagram, at Trevor Dills, and always follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our Instagram pops off sometimes, and I like it. There's nobody following us on Twitter. So if you're listening to this and you're on Twitter, follow us at Ghost Party Picks. Um, Thank you all for listening to this. This was a lot of fun. I I do enjoy sometimes just sitting down with you. I've I've heard some of the most positive uh, reactions we've had from this uh, podcast are just when we, you and I, are just you know, shooting the shit talking about movies. So right. um, I can't imagine anyone listening to this, but um, <laughs> thank you all for, for doing it and, and, and listening to our show. I, uh, I, we have fun recording it. Um, yeah, not so you. much editing it. Right. Something like this, this labyrinthine edit, this is going to be, but um, <laughs> thank you for listening to ghost party radio. Adam, we have officially parted one. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Now, last week I told my wife, you need a home improvement loan. She gave me $1,000 to move out. <laughs> I'll tell you, my wife, there's always something, you know. Well, the other day I called her up. I said to her, honey, I've been thinking about the last time we had sex. I'm getting excited. She said, who is this?